This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. Take your Bibles, please. Would you find the book of Ecclesiastes? It's in that section of Scripture we know as the poetry section, beginning with Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and we'll be in the second chapter today. One of the things, one of the many things I appreciate about this assembly is God's people here are hard workers. Whether you're in school, whether you're in your full-time career, if you're in ministry, I'm so thankful for the wonderful work ethic that uh, I see demonstrated here uh, that I believe is for the glory of God. The scripture has much to say about work, about labor. I love the fact that our labor is not in vain, say with me, in the Lord. But that helps us understand that sometimes our labor can be vain, it can be proud, it can be in vain, uh, it doesn't accomplish anything. And then think about this, it can bring vanity to our hearts from the standpoint it leaves us empty. God placed us here to work. You know that the first command in the Bible, it was not don't eat at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God said, be fruitful, multiply. And then God gave Adam very specific instructions about work. But what happens if work consumes us? What happens if our work takes control of our hearts and whatever we do at work, whatever we're pursuing a particular uh, effort in our lives, what happens when that actually becomes an idol and goes outside of the bounds of what God said about work? Well, do you know that we have someone in the Bible who helps illustrate this in an amazing way and for a number of significant reasons? Above any man who ever lived, Solomon was the most fitted to write about the good life. Honestly, isn't that why people work? They want to better themselves. Nothing wrong with that. But the American dream... Well, boy, these days we know how that can be influenced by others, right? But the good life. Solomon knew about that. John Phillips noted, quote, All the wealth that wealth could demand, all that wisdom and love of learning could invent and devise, all that fame could bring, Solomon had it all and in full measure. If wealth, wisdom, women, wine could make a man happy, Solomon had to be the most contented man that ever lived. Not so much. 
But God led him to write a book in our Bible that tells a different story. If things, achieving goals, if all that could satisfy, Solomon would have been a contented man. But Ecclesiastes tells us differently. The fact that Ecclesiastes is inspired takes the wisdom in the book far beyond the human mind. You can't read Ecclesiastes and say, well, that was Solomon because he didn't play the game right. That was Solomon because he didn't understand what we understand today. No, no, no. That was Solomon, and God allowed Solomon to write because God wants us to see this is how life works or this is how it doesn't work. Solomon searched out everything under the sun. Did you know that that phrase is mentioned 29 times in 12 chapters? Now, can you see everything under the sun? What do you think? No. Could Solomon, in all of his wisdom, could he see everything under the sun? No. Does God see everything under the sun? So under inspiration, every time, 29 times that that phrase is used, it's God speaking to us about everything, help me, under the sun. All right? Now, since the divine author made everything under the sun, Solomon's conclusions are universal for everyone on earth. Solomon sought to satisfy his heart with everything under the sun. And he came to an overall conclusion. If you're taking notes today, here's his conclusion. All that life can offer in the material realm is vanity. 34 times that word is used. It's vanity. What is Solomon saying? He's saying this, it leaves the human heart empty. So on this Labor Day weekend, we need to consider one of Solomon's pursuits under the sun that left him empty. Did you know that the word labor, the word for work, is mentioned 23 times in this book? Although historians still marvel at Solomon's work, it left his own heart empty. And he tells us this, he says, it vexed my spirit. What does he mean? It frustrated me. So all these good things that he did, all that he got to accomplish, do you know what it was? In Solomon's spiritual condition, it was a frustration to him. Now, I've got good news for you today. God didn't make us to work to frustrate us. In fact, he gave us that work to serve him so that we can be satisfied in him alone. So this morning, regardless of how it's going at work, if you're frustrated, here's what we need to see. You are not pursuing satisfaction in God alone. Now, what does that look like? Well, pursuing satisfaction in God alone is pursuing godliness. In other words, pursuing what pleases God. That is what satisfies. So the theme of Ecclesiastes is only God can satisfy the deepest needs of the human heart. 
In fact, Solomon earlier would say in Proverbs that a little, when a person is right with God, it satisfies. But you can be in a big house with all kinds of things, be empty and frustrated. Now we need to see what the Lord taught Solomon about work that ultimately ministered to his heart. There is a time to plant and reap, gather stones and sow. He says that in chapter 3. But let's answer the question in Ecclesiastes 3.9. What profit hath he that worketh and that wherein he labors? What profit is it? There is profit, but what is it? I've entitled our message today, Divine Perspectives on Work. Divine Perspectives on Work. I believe Ecclesiastes 2 is the labor chapter in the Bible. Okay, If we could identify it that way, chapter 2 is the labor chapter. The text that helps us put our work efforts into perspective is right here in Ecclesiastes 2. Now we're going to work quickly to try to get through this, so follow along. All right, uh, buckle up. Don't expect any turbulence, but buckle up. All right, here we go. I believe that in Ecclesiastes 2, we see, first of all, the pursuit of fulfillment in work. The pursuit of fulfillment in work. I don't know what motivates you to get up and to go to work, but... I do know me, and I've learned some things from Scripture about human nature. Most of us go to work not to just get along. We want to be fulfilled. In fact, people will make statements, if you love your work, you'll never work another day in your life. I don't know about the, well, the accuracy of that, okay. Uh, but we, we do it to be fulfilled. Look at chapter 2, verse 1. I, Solomon, said in my heart, go to now, I will prove, I will test thee with mirth. And by that he's saying, I'm going to test what brings satisfaction or fulfillment. Therefore enjoy pleasure, and behold, this also is vanity. We all like to laugh. We, the, the whole idea of, of being lighthearted, uh, you know, not feeling pressure, a heart that's free to be able to laugh. Verse 2, I said to laughter, it's mad and of mirth or pleasure. What doeth it? What does it accomplish? I sought in my heart to give myself unto wine, yet acquainting or guiding my heart with wisdom. What is he, Solomon saying? All right, so I sought to give myself to wine, all right? I wanted pleasure, that which would bring pleasure, but I didn't leave off wisdom. In other words, I'm trying to combine pleasure and work. All right, I want to be careful about this and to lay hold of folly. In other words, I don't want to let my heart go. I'm not letting myself go. I'm being responsible till I might see what was that good for the sons of men which they should do under the heaven all the days of their life or in their lifelong pursuit. All right, so this is what Solomon says. This was in my mind. This was in my heart. All right, I, I'm, not, I'm not just working to play. I'm working on purpose, trying to combine things the way I should. I'm not being foolish, but I was pursuing my life's goals. 
Now Solomon found that whatever pleasures and laughter his work enabled him to experience, again, it was emptiness. Now I've got to pause here, and we have to think about where Solomon is at in his life. Where you are at spiritually has everything to do with how you view work and what work does for you, if I can express it that way. There was a time when Solomon was humble before the Lord. God made him the king after his father, David. In humility, when God said, ask and I'll give you whatever you want, here's what Solomon said. I don't know how to go out. I don't know how to come in. So, Lord, I need your wisdom. God was so pleased with that that he said, Solomon, here's, I'm not going to just give you wisdom. I'm going to give you wealth, and I'm going to give you long life because your request shows a right heart, and that pleases me. And early on, Solomon was a great leader. He sought the Lord. In fact, he built the temple that his father had wanted to build. He builds the temple, and then he humbly prays to God that God would work from that place in the hearts of the nation of Israel. And God was so pleased with that prayer that the Lord comes down and his glory fills that temple. They had to stop the worship. Nobody could see. God's presence was powerful there. That was Solomon's start. But then human nature takes over. Things are going well. He's, he's wealthy. He's well known across uh, the nations. And Solomon gets sloppy spiritually. And we start reading about these things that he's doing. He's disobeying Moses' law. He's multiplying wives to himself. As far as military might, instead of trusting the Lord and just keeping the foot soldier, he starts acquiring horses and chariots. God said, don't do that. If you do that, people are going to start trusting that, not me. And so Solomon is doing all of these things. And then enemies start to rise up as God's trying to persuade Solomon, turn back to the Lord. It took some persuading. And so Solomon found that work, pleasure made him empty. The secular mind or a backslidden mind might think, well, he just didn't find his niche in life. If he found the right job, did what he really wanted to do, he would have been happy. Not so. Now what Solomon says next obliterates that theory. If you've pushed God aside, I'm going to get back to God sometime. But right now, look, I have these career opportunities. I have these goals. Lord, I'll get back to you. If that's your attitude, listen to what Solomon says next. Here are the projects fulfilled through work, through his work. Verse 4, I made me great works. I builded me houses. I planted me vineyards. I made me gardens and orchards, and I planted trees in all uh, in them of all kinds of fruits. I made me pools of water to water therewith the wood that bringeth forth trees. Now, what's he saying there? I don't know if we have any arborists here. He's saying I irrigated forests. 
They tell us from Solomon's time that there is evidence that there were whole forests. The way they survived was his irrigation projects. When we visit Israel, we'll do it again next year, group, uh, in fact, a growing group from our church here. I'm excited. We're going to go through areas where you'll see vast orchards where there was once wilderness. How are they doing that? They're irrigating it. Do you know that what they're doing today has nothing on Solomon? This is what he did. Verse 7, I got me servants and maidens and had servants born in my house. Also, I had great possessions of great and small cattle above all that were in Jerusalem before me. I gathered me also silver and gold and the particular treasures of kings and of the provinces. I'll pause and just say there is one place in Scripture where it says he gathered so much silver, it was as plentiful as the stones in Jerusalem. If you've ever visited Jerusalem, it's a rock quarry and they build a city on it. The, the silver was as plentiful as the stones. He said, I got me men singers and women singers and the delights of the sons of men as musical instruments. Now watch this. And that of all sorts. If you're reading this casually, you think, all right, Solomon did all these things to please himself. Musicians, servants, wealth. All right, all the things that, that are read here. Why doesn't it talk about his women? Well, and I'm not a Hebrew scholar, but as you study this, here's what Hebrew scholars say. That last phrase, and that of all sorts, Many faithful Hebrew scholars take the end of verse 8 literally to read that of all sorts to be a reference to Solomon's many wives. I'm not going to show you the Hebrew, but that is what they believe. The point is, Solomon stopped at nothing. He worked hard to entertain himself. How many wives did Solomon have? A thousand. A thousand. Verse 9, So I was great and increased more than all that were before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom remained with me. In other words, I, he said, I didn't abandon my wisdom. It was wisdom that was driving this human wisdom because it wasn't right with the Lord. Verse 10, And whatsoever mine eyes desired, I kept not from them. I withheld not my heart from any what? Wow, if I thought it'd bring me joy, I did it. For my heart rejoiced in all my labor, and this was my portion of all my labor. Now remember, this is the wisest man that lived before Jesus. Jesus is the wisest man, infinite in wisdom because he's God. But Solomon was the second. He retained his wisdom to accomplish any work he desired to try to bring himself pleasure. Solomon's work was so amazing. His temple is considered to be one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. What he did was so amazing that this is the testimony of a monarch who came to see him. You'll recognize her name. She's the queen of Sheba. Would you go back in your Bible to 1 Kings chapter 10? 
Do you know that we have the account of a woman who almost faints in the Bible? I'm not being silly. 1 Kings chapter 10, look at verse 1. And when the queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord, she came to prove him with hard questions. And she came to Jerusalem with a very great train, entourage, camels that bear spices, very much gold, precious stones. And when she was come to Solomon, she communed with him of all that was in her heart. And Solomon told her all her questions. He answered them. There was not anything hid from the king which he told her not. Now again, at this point, God's also driving his wisdom. That's how he's able to answer. Again, whatever was told him, that's the Lord, he answered her. And when the queen of Sheba had seen all Solomon's wisdom and the houses he had built, and the meat of his table, and the sitting of his servants, and the attendance of his ministers, and their apparel, and his cupbearers, and his ascent by which he went up into the house of the Lord, there was no more spirit in her. All right, what does that mean? Well, here's what it means. The scripture here is telling us she almost fainted. She was so overwhelmed in her heart by what she saw, she had to step back. Literally, it took her breath away. I, I can envision maybe some servants reaching out to steady the queen because of what she saw in Solomon's court. Wow. Wow. All right. So projects fulfilled. Projects fulfilled. Now, with that in mind, we go on. Solomon says this, verse 10, And whatsoever mine eyes desired, I kept not from them. I withheld not my heart from any joy, for my heart rejoiced in all my labor, and this was my portion, or the reward of my labor. So the little satisfaction that he did get from work that was his reward. Now, was that enough? No. Verses 4 to 8 give us the first hint of Solomon's trouble. I'm not going to go back and read those all again, but here's what he said. I made, I built me, I planted me, I gathered me. Solomon had a me problem. Don't just read over that. He had a me problem. Literally, Solomon is saying in the Hebrew text over and over, I made, I planted, and gathered for myself. Who is he doing it for? Solomon. Everything that happened with the Queen of Sheba beforehand, and Solomon's going up to the house of the Lord. This was a time when he is right with God. He is pursuing the Lord. He is only interested in being satisfied by God. But now he turns his attention to pleasing myself. When we work exclusively for our pleasure, trusting that our work will bring us satisfaction, we're assured emptiness. 
Can I give us a New Testament text right here that is so wonderful because as we compare spiritual things with spiritual, you're going to understand in a, in a far greater way, I believe, what 1 Timothy 6.17 says. Listen to 1 Timothy 6.17. Paul says to Timothy, Charge them that are rich in this world, that they be not high-minded, proud, arrogant, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God. Trust Him who giveth us all things richly to enjoy. No, the Lord has given us these things to enjoy, but put them in remembrance, charge them, Timothy, that if they have these material things, not to trust in them, not to look to them to satisfy if they're looking to the Lord to satisfy, these things will bring some satisfaction. All right? They will bring satisfaction. It's not that God gave us all these things so that we just can't enjoy them. No. But we need to seek our pleasure, our enjoyment, our satisfaction from God. So God made us with a capacity to enjoy good things. But if we claim them as our accomplishments, our pride, and we trust them to satisfy or supply, some of you are working yourself to the bone. Why? Because you think taking care of you is up to you. It was never that way. God never made it that way. And if that's your thinking, you're going to be empty. And by the way, we know that this is the thinking of some because they're willing to set aside the things of God. Their walk with the Lord, their attendance at church, family responsibilities, they set all that aside. Why? Because if my family's going to be provided for, I've got to do it. No, God says, I guarantee your emptiness until you seek first me and my kingdom and my righteousness. Now watch this play out in Solomon's life. Think I'm just making this up? Look at verse 11. Then I looked on all the works that my hands had wrought and on the labor that I had labored to do, and behold, all was vanity and vexation of spirit. It frustrated me. And there was no profit under the sun. How much profit? No profit. So the pursuit of being fulfilled through any work ultimately leads to, here's our last point, the perspective of dissatisfaction in work alone. So here's what we see in the scripture. Solomon, under inspiration, now he's the preacher. Now he's preaching to us what, is, what was in his heart when he sought to be satisfied through his own wisdom and the work of his hands. The dissatisfaction in work alone. Look at verse 12. We're back in Ecclesiastes 2. It says, And I turned myself to behold wisdom and madness and folly, for what can the man do that cometh after the king? Even that which hath been already done. Then I saw that wisdom excelleth folly, as far as light excelleth darkness. The wise man's eyes are in his head, but the fool walketh in darkness. And I myself perceived also that one event happeneth to them all. 
Then said I in my heart, as it happeneth to the fool, so it happeneth even to me. And why was I then more wise? Then I said in my heart, this also is vanity. Now let's just pause for a moment. Probably Solomon wrote Proverbs before Ecclesiastes. What is one of the main themes of Proverbs? Wisdom. And those who don't practice wisdom are fools. When they forsake wisdom, they practice folly. So now Solomon's at a point where he's, there was a time that he had walked away from God. He was trying to satisfy himself through other things. And when it came to just the work he was able to accomplish, these are great things. These are magnificent things. In his mind now, because he's away from the Lord, he hasn't been satisfied from God, here's what he's saying. All my good things, all the work that I'm doing, I am no different than a fool. I may have wealth, but fools have wealth. When I die, I don't take any of it with me. When a fool dies, doesn't take any of it with him. Because I lost perspective, my perspective now is... I'm no different than a fool. Ouch. Wow. Look at verse 25. For who can eat or who else can hasten hereunto more than I? Okay. Now again, I'm going to give you, I'm going to be a little technical with you but I hope this will be a help to you. Solomon reminds the reader, if anybody had the opportunity to be satisfied with stuff and work, the things that the world says really matter, I had that opportunity. But then he says, or who else can hasten hereunto? I can do that, but then more than I, it's important that we pause here. I love our English translation, but our Old Testament is based on the Masoretic text. I need to share with you what the Masoretic text actually does here. More than I is literally without him, capital H. So I had all these things, uh, but it means nothing without God. That's what he's saying. Now, the Septuagint translates it that way. Other early translations before our King James Bible present it this way. Solomon is asking, who can eat and who can have enjoyment without him? That's what he's saying. Now, what's the answer? No one. Without him, nothing satisfies. Verse 26 supports this. For God giveth to a man... That is good in his sight. And when a man is right, when he's good in God's sight, he gives wisdom, knowledge, and joy. What's the point? You want those things? Walk with God. You want joy? In thy presence is fullness of joy. Solomon's dad said that. But to the sinner he giveth travail, to gather and to heap up, 
that he may give it to him that is good before God. See, if you're not good before God, you can accumulate all kinds of things, but other passages also remind us God will give it to somebody else. This also is vanity and vexation of spirit. So to live any other way will bring you emptiness. So let me close. Turn over one chapter to chapter 3 and verse 13. Would you look down there with me? By the way, this is repeated. If you have cross-references in your Bible, you'll see other texts in Ecclesiastes. But here's what 3.13 says. And also that every man should eat and drink and enjoy the good of his labor. It is the, say it with me, gift of God. What? My stuff? Well, we know that's from God. But to enjoy it is the gift of God. You see it? I can enjoy it. God wants me to enjoy it. But if I'm not seeking to be satisfied by him, I can't enjoy it. What does it profit a man if he gained the whole world and lose his own soul? All right. So work is God's gift. And let me just close with some very practical help. One of the ways you begin to enjoy your work is thank God for it. Thank God for the job you have. And then thank God for what he provides with that job. Thank you. Okay? Begin by thanking him. But then see that job as an opportunity to do service to the Lord and not unto man. Colossians, Ephesians, we could look at those texts. Don't serve there because you want to impress somebody. You serve there because you want to impress God. Bring him glory. Thank him. Bring him glory through it. And then realize this. You're there as a representative of the kingdom to point others to the king. When Solomon remembered this, oh, God blessed him. God used him. He was fulfilled. He was satisfied. Bible scholars say that when Solomon turned his heart away from the Lord to be satisfied there. That's when he went on a marriage spree. Seven hundred wives? Heard a preacher say seven hundred wives, three hundred combines? That's a big farm in anybody's book. <laughs> Why did he do that? Because he turned his heart away from God. Did a thousand wives satisfy? No. What they did was they helped to turn his heart away further from God. Oh, that's another whole testimony we could talk about. And so, this is the divine perspective of God on work. He said, if you don't work, you shouldn't eat. That's true. He wants us to be responsible. But here's what he also said. Be satisfied through me alone. Solomon will close out Ecclesiastes by sharing the whole matter. Fear God. Keep his commandments. This is the whole, and then you'll see in your King James Bible, duty is italicized. 
again, I understand why the translators put it there, but let me quote it without the translator or the uh, italicized word. Fear God, keep his commandments, for this is the whole of man. When it comes to your inner being, being satisfied with your God, fear God, reverence him, keep his commandments. This will make you whole. So as we continue to work this week, Tuesday, all right, let's remember the divine perspective and let's pursue our God and let him be the worker that he wants us to be. Father, thank you for your truth. Thank you for this text. For many, this text is obscure. I confess to you before I really studied it, it was obscure to me. Read it different times, but Lord, oh, the light that it sheds on our lives, our work, and even sometimes the emptiness in our hearts. Father, help us to seek you alone, but to fulfill your will in our work. And Lord, help us to be testimonies as we serve you, no matter what occupation what endeavor we seek to involve ourselves in. Lord, we pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, you can visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened. And we want to encourage you to share this message with others. May the truth of God's word be your guide as you strive to follow Christ and make him known to others.